DJ Pearson and welcome to Season 2 of the I Love Tooting Podcast, a podcast about the local community for the local community. This season we have more inspiring guests talking passionately about their local community groups. Hopefully by raising awareness of these fantastic organisations, you, a podcast listener, will perhaps find a community or communities of your own to join. I hope you enjoy the shows. For more information on this season's guests and previous episodes, please visit ilovetooting.co.uk or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, I was delighted to meet Jill, a trustee and volunteer at the Work and Play Scrap Store. The Scrap Store takes donations from homes and businesses of all types of materials that would otherwise be sent to landfill and provides them to its members at excellent value. I would urge you to go and take a look in person or look at the virtual tour on their website www.workandplayscrapstore.org.uk The background work you hear in the recording is the work of the volunteers ensuring everything is ready for when the store opens to members on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm delighted today to be talking to Jill from the Work and Play Scrap Store. Hello, nice to meet you. I always start the podcast with a few quickfire questions. So how long have you supported the Work and Play Scrap Store? I've been part of it for 12 years. What do you think is the best thing about tooting? Oh my goodness, it's so lively. Uh, I like the diverse community that live here. Um, I love the fact that it's really vibrant. There's so much happening. It's a really vibrant community. And are you Beck or are you Broadway? Ooh. (laughs) Controversial, I know. I know. Well, we're Broadway only because we're closer to Tooting Broadway, I'd say. And what is your favourite independent shop or restaurant? My goodness, there's so many. That's really difficult. I do like uh, Little Taparia. How did the Work and Play Store in Tooting come about? It started way before my time, over 30 years ago, by some very well-meaning individuals who saw the need for it. As I say, started up in a little porter cabin, um, helpfully sponsored by our local council, once the council. Um, And it grew from there, really. And the, the, I mean, but the ethos is, is said exactly the same over those 30 years that we're here to help reduce waste, help the planet, um, give somewhere for those eco-minded companies to deposit their surplus or waste material so they don't take it to the dump. And that hasn't changed all those 30 years that we've been doing it. Just unfortunately, it's become more and more important. It has indeed. Yeah. I mean, but there are 62 tonnes. It's been going up year on year, so we are actually managing to actually divert more and more waste and recycle and upcycle and repurpose more and more waste. You know, we do it also by going into schools. Again, pre-COVID, we'd go, be going into schools to teach them a greener way. We show children how to recycle materials. We show them how to repurpose items. We make puppets out of milk bottles. We make all sorts of weird and wonderful things that they can see. Do not throw this item away. Look what you can do with it. You know, so... We try and not just, um, we talk, talk the talk and walk the walk really yeah. as well as just doing what we do here. And will you hope to get back into schools? Yes, yes. Um, 
So yeah, hopefully we'll be back in demonstrating, going doing out all our lovely outreach work, which used to be we should do about sort of forty a year, going to do little events. It'd be lovely to get back into that when it when COVID allows us to do so. It's the younger generation. My daughter's five, and she and she is taught in school to be environmentally conscious, and it will become their way of life. Yes, it won't be. It won't be a change for them. No. Absolutely not. And as soon as we can get that embedded, yeah. I think. It is. It's a mindset change. It's a behaviour change. And I think this COP26, hopefully, if, it, if it, all the world governments do actually get together and, and try and uh, do something more positive than they have been doing for the last few years, then, um, yeah, the planet stands a chance, doesn't it? Yeah. And I know and I understand it's very difficult as an individual to feel it's a drop in the ocean. People get frustrated about governments for not moving fast enough and not making changes. But it's these types of communities that stand, kind of stand the best chance. It's small yes. groups of people working together. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I actually reflect back on the first interview I did with Transition Town Tooting. Oh, yes. Yeah. And their ethos, and that is about community making a difference. Mm. It um, starts in grassroots. Yeah. It can start with a little scrap store like this. And then if everyone gets the idea of, gosh, yes, don't throw away the milk bottle, let's make a puppet for the school, let's let's reuse this banner and repaint it on the other side and we can reuse it, why buy another one and put something else on this planet that's going to end up in the ocean or something? I think, yes, it's a mindset change. And one, it's the power of one. It really is the power of one. We can all do something, I think. And how long have you been a part of the scrap store? Me personally? Yes. Gosh, it has to be over 10 years, I think. I started as, um, I was the chair of the PTA of my son's primary school and they found out I could sew. <laughs> so when Christmas production was coming up, I was I was tasked with the um, um, with making about 30 tutus for the Christmas play and um, someone said, oh, we're, we're a member of this scrap store in Tooting, which I had never heard of. And so I became a regular coming to collect as a member. And then um, somebody here asked me whether I'd like to volunteer. And I thought, actually, it would be really nice to come and volunteer. You know, so I, I, then I started volunteering. And then um, then someone in the trustee board said, would you like to come and be a trustee? So I've gone through all aspects of, of um, the journey you can at, at Scrap Store, you know, a, a member, a volunteer, and now a trustee. So it's been a really lovely journey over, what, 10 or 12 years, actually. What keeps you motivated? What do you think is keeps you going and being a part of this community? Oh, several things. But I guess basically trying to save the planet. You know, doing that, reducing wastage. We do such. We have such fantastic green credentials. So, as I say, we we divert over sixty tons of waste each year from landfill incineration, and also giving a home to those thirty volunteers who love coming here. It might be for their social life. It might be for the same reasons I come here. It's just a lovely community. It's a lovely community spirit we have in Scrap Store. Um, yeah, that keeps me going. No, no two days are the same. I know we're doing good. We're doing a lot of good things here. Fabulous. We have an amazing, honestly, the 30 volunteers we have, their skill sets are amazing. We have tailors we have. I mean, honestly, wonderful knitters. There's Svetlana, the lady I showed you, who made those lovely little leather leaves. She came in the other day last week with this beautiful black mohair dress that she'd knitted. Hadn't even used a pattern. It was extraordinary. It's absolutely beautiful. 
And I, I take my hats off to some of the people that come in, but they love coming in here. No day is the same. They don't know what they're going to find in a bag that's just been delivered. It's not all big commercial donations we get from big companies. I mean, yeah. yes, of course, it's that too. So we get a, that's a printer who sadly is going out of business. And they'll deliver huge rolls of paper, which is fantastic for the schools. But then we also get domestic donations or maybe a, you know, a shop, a haberdasher that's just closed down. And everyone loves just sort of digging into these bags and thinking, oh, you know, what are we going to find? And we also find things like dirty tea towels, which is not so good. Yeah. But amongst them, there are always fantastic stuff for our members. Yeah, really, really good stuff. So well, I think we're really um, lucky to have the people we have come in here because they work for free. You know, they come in twice a week and do whatever we require them to do, or within reason, obviously. As I mentioned, we try and match their skill set to something we need to have done. So they're happy. Yeah. The key thing is to try and give them something to do that they want to do rather than what they've got to do. Um, so it's usually Deborah and I that pick up the slack and do the things that they don't want to do. <laughs> that's what you do as a trustee. That's absolutely fine, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a really interesting place to come and spend time, to be honest. And there's only about a dozen of us around the country. That's what I find so extraordinary. I mean, we, we divert over 60 tonnes of waste each year from landfill and, and uh, incineration. If you think if that was, if there was 50 of us, how much more reduction in waste we could achieve? We're just one little scrap store, one of only, what, three in London. I don't know, I just don't know why there aren't more. I mean, it's, it's a struggle to keep everything going because our only income is our membership fees. So we always try and get new members because that obviously increases what's in the kitty. Um, because we're a charity, obviously, then that get, gets fun back straight back into the building, which is is not you know, in great conditions. It's always needing maintenance yeah. and stuff. But that just about covers us for our one for you. Yeah, so so we're we're really lucky, really really lucky. Um, so our income we get in just about balances with our expenditure. Um, COVID was a bit of a difficult year for us, obviously, because our membership renewal period was hit just as we closed back in April 2019. Um, it was our biggest single membership renewal period, and that just nobody renewed. Why would they? They can't yeah. come into the store, it's closed. So that was a, a, a sort of tricky time for us. But we've seen to sort of pulling, pulling out now of that. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see more, more companies like this doing this. Do you have an idea of, of why, like, why it's not kind of franchisable or? Well, you see things like food banks thriving, don't yeah. you? And that's a similar thing. In other words, you're getting donations in. It has to be food for free. You're getting volunteers to package, bag it up for people who, who need the, the, the food. Um, so it's a similar principle. Um, I don't know. I think it's because this, this whole, you know, reuse, recycle, reduce business just hasn't resonated with the public yet. I mean, I know the planet's, you know, in this dreadful, dreadful state. Here we are with, you know, COP26, 30, what's it, 30 years in, still trying to sort of get governments to galvanise and work together, and it's sort of not happening. So maybe the message hasn't got through to the general public. I think the younger generation will help us. I mean, my son always reminds me when I'm brushing my teeth, Mum, why do you, why do you let the tap running? Why? I have no reason to do the yeah. tap running, and I shouldn't do it. But he's teaching me stuff like that now. I think as the next generation come up, I think they're very conscious of what our generation have done to the planet. Maybe it'll sink in a bit more. I don't really know why we haven't got more scrap stores. There's one in Bristol, there's one in Cardiff, there's one in Swindon. 
Scotland. I mean, there's, I could name probably about a dozen, but you think there'd just be more of us, really? And you think there'd be almost one at least per university town. So anywhere yeah. where there's an arts college. Yes. Yes. Even if they, the arts college themselves, ran a mini version. Yeah. Like they all can't be as big yeah. as this. But absolutely. No, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, well, our, our, our two biggest chunks of the demographic of members are art students. They're brassic. You know, they're doing projects. They, they can't afford to buy new stuff. So they were always here filling up suitcases of stuff, which is just lovely to see. And I mentioned schools because, again, their arts budgets have been cut and they've been pushed towards STEM subjects, which I think is really sad. But, um, you know, what makes a whole wholly rounded child is everything, is it not just STEM? It's got to be arts and crafts and creative stuff. Um, so we are, we are definitely filling in a need, without doubt. So, yeah, but to answer your question, I don't know why there aren't more of us, and it's really sad that they're not. Do you have any communication with the other scrap stores, like, we to could, help each other, or have you had well, there was an overwhelmed, overwhelming amount of bottle tops that you could well, there was send a, them somewhere? Yeah, there was a, a network, and I can't remember what it was called, because when I first was introduced to scraps about 10 years ago, we were in constant contact with this, this network, this, this sort of club, if you like, but it fell by the wayside, it went. So the only contact we have is, for example, we were rejigging our membership fees recently. And so I rang up Bristol and, and, and Swindon. I said, how did you work your, your membership fee levels out? You know, so we, we chat. You've yet to visit. We keep saying we must visit. And then, of course, COVID hit. Um, so there's not much interaction between all of us. And when one London one closed about five years ago, they rang us up and said, what would, would we like with their stock? And of course, yes, we, we took all that in. Um, so no, we're not, we're not a very cohesive group, which is not so good either, I suppose, is it really? It's just too much to do every, yeah. every day, to be honest. You know, making sure we go and get donations. We, we have to be careful on things like transport costs, um, because they could cost, they could really spiral out of control. We're always constantly going to pick up stuff. So what we try and do is get them to deliver to us. I go and pick up stuff. Deborah goes and picks up stuff in our private cars. You know, we, we try and sort of, keep our transport costs down so we have more contact I suppose with the suppliers because obviously they're the people that are keeping this going in terms of constant stock all the time and how do suppliers find you or how do you find them a bit of both we'll suddenly get a call from someone who they've obviously heard about us not quite sure how one Easter we had a 10 foot high papier-mâché Easter egg that came in it went out the same day from a school school absolutely loved it for their Easter display so um, we get the most amazing, amazing, eclectic collection of stuff. And it's the stocks vary each week. Yeah. But the thing is, if you see something, you have to pick it up then and there. It's usually a one-off. And if you think, oh, I'll think about that and come back on Thursday, it'll have gone. You've got to pick it up really quickly. And you've got to be prepared to go home with a, a 10-foot Easter egg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's quite an interesting little challenge. Um we often put the stuff aside because they think you know, they've, they've come in, they found something amazing. It's bigger than, as you say, getting on a bus, they just can't cope with that. And then, Could you put it aside for us? We're always doing that, which we're really happy to do. We know it's going to go, you know. Uh, we get lots of things like mannequins, and it must be really funny getting on a bus with a full <laughs> size mannequin. You know? <laughs> that happens quite frequently. We get a lot of mannequins and dummies. 
Yeah, never a dull moment, I have to say. And I think it's the diversity of supplies that you've got. Yeah. Like, how did an airline know to contact you to give you that big well, load of cotton? So the airline would have given it back to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer knows us and called uh, us. So, you know, it's that ripple effect all the way down the supply chain. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's been the most fantastic donation. I can't tell you how many art students have taken that lovely white. It's pure, 100% white um, cotton jersey. Fabulous for making all sorts of things. With, as you say, one set designer is making a backdrop. Other art, art students are making T-shirts and decorating them. So, my goodness, so many, so many different different uses for all the things we have in here. As I kind of mentioned earlier, you, you see there's kind of two sides to the scrap store. There's the side with the users who come in and take all the great resources. And also there's the community of volunteers that you have, and you have around 30 volunteers. Yeah, yeah, probably about 35 at the moment. We've had quite a few new ones come in, which is lovely. And as I say, we're very inclusive. We, we accept anyone who wants to come in and help us and we accommodate whatever their or disability or whatever it might be. So we have a quiet room if someone wants to be quiet and not be perhaps too sociable. Or normally pre-COVID, that, that kitchen you just walked into is a hive of activity. We have a big table usually in the middle with everybody working around it. And people come here for their social life. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a place to be. They're... So how many members of the scrap store is there? We've got about 300 at the moment. Um, and that's a mix of art students, whole schools, community organisations, home educators, um, obviously private families, families can join as well. So a whole mix um, of different types of members and obviously the membership fees reflect that. So for example, an art student would only pay us, let's say, £30, well, not say let's say it is, £30 a year. And for that they can come twice a week, literally 50 weeks of the year and come and collect stuff. I would say 95% of it will be free for them. Uh, and then the fees then stagger up depending on how many beneficiaries. So a school, depending on how many children they they um, teach, will be into the early hundreds, maybe 120 or 110, that sort of range. So you have a whole range of membership fees, and that, that's as they reflected on whether you're an individual or you're teaching big groups of people. And so how many members do you generally get through the door on each of the days you're open? Oh, gosh, at least 50 or 60 come in, yeah. I mean, during COVID, we had to limit numbers, and that was really sad because we could only have four in at a time, and then we stretched to six at a time. And now, since lockdown has eased, we're back to normal, shall we say? So it's it's a free for all whoever comes through the door. Obviously, if it gets too congested, sometimes we try and stagger it a little bit, but essentially, uh, you can come in any time now. Well, that's fantastic. And would you say that most of your users? kind of come back on a weekly or monthly or it's interesting some um will be in every week as i say like small school they're in every week collecting stuff and or if we get a particular item in we often might call them and say hey look what we've just got in we think it might be good for you so we're often very in tune with our members and if they leave us a little note saying i'm looking for x and x comes in we obviously we're very proactive and we'll call members and say look we've just got this income we'll put it by for you um but some might only come twice a year. Um, sometimes it's to do with distance. So we've got, they come from wide and far. Um, we had one member who came from, um, I think it was Cambridge. She literally filled up her boot enough for the year, I think. <laughs> I don't see her for another year. So it's just dependent on, but I think on location, to be honest. 
What are your plans for the future? Um, always expansion, always trying to find new members, always trying to find new suppliers to bring even more exotic and eclectic materials in here. Um, gosh, they're probably the two two main things. Um, maybe trying to, to do a little bit of retail, but that's a bit difficult being a charity. Um, selling is a difficult thing. You know, you have to sort of do it via donations and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're trying to get the word out there. A lot of people just don't know that we're here. They don't understand the concept of scrap store. So again, trying to sort of put our head above the parapet a bit more. Uh, we try and be more visible with doing fundraising stalls and, and during the summer and Christmas, for example. Um, we get corporate volunteers here who come here for their uh, corporate days to sort of tick the sort of CSR box yep. for their employers. Um, so the word is getting out slowly, but probably not well enough, I think. I think we need to sort of do more in terms of just getting our name across and what we stand for and what we do. So what other local organisations do you think a two-team resident should look out for? Gosh, there are so many. I mean, we work alongside and, and with whoever would like to, you know, whoever sort of we can collaborate with has the same sort of ethos as us. So it might be a charity like a Thrive or, a, or an art organisation like Sprout Arts. We work alongside ones with Arts Fringe every year. We run a mini green festival in the summer, normally in May, um, to gain to highlight and demonstrate uh, all our green credentials and recycling and so on. Transition Town Tooting, we made lots of bunting for them a few years back. So there's a lot, actually there's quite a few organisations who um, are trying to do the same as we are, really, in one way or another, trying to bring the community together for whatever reason it might be. The Tooting Food Festival one was another organisation we work with. So there's, yeah, I think there's a lot that local residents should be aware of. I know you're always looking for new members and new volunteers. Um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? They can go onto our website and there's our phone number there. Um, and there's an info and membership uh, email address. They could get in touch that way. Or obviously just call us or they could just drop in. We're open on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Tuesdays 11 till 8 o'clock in the evening. Thursdays 11 till 5. They can pop in, ask at reception that they're interested in either volunteering or becoming a member. And they can sign up literally at reception desk. That's great. So it's as easy as possible. There's no reason not to. We're trying. We're trying to. And I must say, just come down, just see what's available, because it will be far beyond what you thought it could be in this little corner on the outskirts of Tooting. I know. Yeah. And you could easily find us. We're in the middle of Hazelhurst Estate. But if you look for this giant chameleon that's been painted on a wall, that's the entrance of of our store. And stocks change every week, so it's always good to come regularly. And I'd definitely describe it as a TARDIS, that it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd like to thank Jill and all the volunteers at the Work and Play Scrap Store for all their hard work they do. And we're just so lucky to have this scrap store in Tooting, so I really do urge you to check it out. At the end of the podcast, I'd just like to give credit to the music I use, which is Save at the Moment by Shane Ivers, which is shared under a Creative Commons license.